0: Yes, we are.
1: Hey, guys. Um,
0: How are you? Now, we, now we've got a bloody echo. <laughs> yeah, uh, where that come from?
2: We haven't had that for the last 30 minutes, and now all of a sudden we go live and we've got one.
0: Fuck. Technology, He's hey? got the echo? you got the echo. I'll go, it's all good. i go No, we need you. You're the fucking guest of honour. Yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. I reckon that might oh, – it might just be <laughs> the mute – Anyway, I'll, um. is the echo still there? No, no, it's all good.
0: Yeah. Okay. We're all good. We're all good to go. We'll get through. It's fine. We've dealt with much worse.
1: Yeah, it's a fine oiled machine like always, isn't it? Yeah. And it's
0: normally Crafty's fault. It's usually Crafty's fault.
1: Yeah. I'm just a passenger. All right. So welcome to Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the shit. And... um. We're not just Aussie craft still shooting the ship. We sometimes do other things, and we talk to people overseas and see what's happening overseas. So tonight, uh, we've got a special guest, uh, Greg Ramsey from the New Zealand Whiskey Collection. I got that right, Greg? That's it, Crafty. All right. That's good. That's good. That's good to know. Yes, New so... Um,
0: for those playing at home. Yes, yeah,
1: so... It's it's a bit of a giveaway, but we're going to be talking about New Zealand whiskey, um, a little bit different. But uh, Greg's got a, a long history uh, in in whiskey, uh, relatively speaking, and in Australia and New Zealand. So we'll be we'll be covering off on that. But um, first things first. Um, g'day to Greg. G'day to Luke. G'day to Todd. How are you all, lads?
0: Very good. Doing Staying dry. Seeing as the rain's it back.
1: It's dry, but not dry in the glass. What what are you all got in your glass tonight? What are you gonna be drinking?
0: Um well Lukey. I've got Luke. I'm actually going with um a couple little samples that I picked up from I don't know whether you've anyone's heard of um horny pony. Uh-uh. No? Nope. So horny pony sounds obscene, but he's got um just a a whiskey collector who um, decided to start selling off his collection in small samples. So he's got some amazing stuff. Um, And what I'm drinking tonight, I've got the um, Hobart Whiskey Winterfest 2022. Wow. Yeah. And then I've got uh, in honour of our uh, last guest that couldn't make it, I've got the uh, Highwayman Batch 3. Fires to floods that I'll move on to as well.
1: Well oh, yeah, um, special release.
0: Yeah, Horny ha- yeah. Pony. You can get samples of all sorts of interesting shit. It's um it's actually quite amazing.
1: Very nice. Something a little bit different mm-hmm. there, isn't it? So, okay, and what about you, what about you, Todd? What are you drinking?
2: Okay, so I'm going to go the gospel. Yep. Cask, um Rye. So this is part mm. of um, part of my hoard from our recent trip to um, whiskey Life. I was going to say, I thought
1: that's where you might have got it from.
2: Yeah. I bought two bottles. The first one's gone, sadly. <laughs> but, but this is good.
1: <laughs> it was only last week, wasn't it?
2: Last <laughs> two week. Two, two weeks got, ago. Two or three weeks ago, now
0: three I'm weeks sure. Ago. Yeah, yeah. All it's right. been it's been it's been a, enough time. I'd like to no, no, I'd no. like to blame Kathy, but she's been
2: in New Zealand for two weeks, so maybe it was me. Yes.
0: <laughs> All
1: right. Well I'm on the can you see that? Yep. All right. the digger, which is Brongerup um distilling co. Which is part of the Great Southern Distilling Company, which is Cameron Science. And his uh distilleries over in wa so that's um 40 40 percent very easy very approachable um so i thought i'd start with that and wa and then i thought i'd move on to one i'm very partial to is um King oh, Lake.
0: King Lake. i killed mine i need to buy i need to get another bottle
1: yeah, that's you won't go wrong. So forty six percent. So This is their. Um, which one is this? This is their O'Grady.
0: That's O'Grady, O'Grady scan. Yeah, scan. Yeah, Absolute which
1: is cracker. their um, their signature release, I guess. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that's what that's what I'm going to be having a few of. And uh, great, what do you got, mate? What are you
3: having? Uh, got a little progress report. A little nine months old. Um, which I get sent from time to time. This is an ex-bourbon from a 55-litre journeyman distillery cask just outside Chicago. Nice. Um, that's been brought back 45%. And then I'm going to hook in Moravian Revolution, which is uh, a brand that's only available in New Zealand at the moment, but we'll be looking to bring that bring that a bit broader afield pretty soon. Mm.
1: Okay. And what's, what's, um, what's the revolution about? What's the cask in that one?
3: So our Omeruvian was um, a whiskey that um, when we when we sort of first got into whiskey, I always saw cask strengths as a pretty small end of the market and not really worth spending a whole heap of time, um, you know, developing um, the routes to market and the following. But we had a yeah, we had a French whiskey blogger who loved our Dunedin Double Cask, and he he just wanted it high proof and he wanted to take it from the cask and. Um, and he, he, he said, I want it to be, you know, really, really jammy. And anyway, so we found a really sort of almost a rancid barrel of the this, um, you know, a New Zealand whiskey, which had been in a red wine barrel for over 13 years. And, and it was really, you know, hair, very, very tannic, sticky and jammy. And anyway, we bottled it and sent it over to through our European distributor. And it sold over there really well. And he did a glowing review of it. And um sort of had a real cult following ever since. So. It's almost at the offensive end of the sticky, tannic um, yeah, spectrum. So that's the old Omoruvian, you know, very aged sort of. It's, we launched it as, I think, a 14-year-old. The oldest is 18 years old. But um, right. the Omoruvian revolution is our new product that we've distilled ourselves and we've matured out. So it's just a revolution in, um, in, the, you know, in the prospects and, and the, uh, the future of the company.
1: Right. Mm. Okay. Well, that that, that opens up really well, actually, to to what I wanted to kick off with. And um, there's there's two parts to your your uh, empire, isn't there? there? There's the where where you acquired um, barrel stock uh, from a from a uh, a distillery that, that ceased activity, and then you've got your own you've built. A distillery in in New Zealand. Am I am I right on that? So there's the, the the two two sides of it, but it's all one business.
3: Yeah. So yeah. So after doing um, after working with Bill Lark and Lynn um, for several years, and then proposing and, and project managing the the Nant distillery, which uh, Crafty you know probably more about than you you wish you did, but um, the you know we then did a distillery in in Scotland, and then one in Chicago, and out of that, I just put a shingle up as a as a distilling development consultant, and literally within um, within a few months of a website going up, we got a the, some receivers or liquidators accountants in Queenstown, New Zealand, who'd been appointed to take into receivership this big stock of whiskey, so eighty thousand litres of cast strength single malt and blended whiskey, um, and so I I didn't know how to pick my way through eighty thousand litres of whiskey and put a value on it, but. But Bill Lark will have a crack at anything. So I paid Bill to come over with me and we charged him a fee and we and we put a number on it and then they came back about three months later and said they couldn't get any interest in anyone buying it at that number. So I went out and raised the money and um, and we bought that whiskey. So it was back in 2010. So, yeah, that, uh, that old stock of whiskey, we rebranded it, we revitalized the sales channels we completely did all that redid the packaging and so on and also sort of the product segmentation and the inventory and then um and and then we started distilling ourselves initially in partnership with our bottling company we built a a cute little still there in Christchurch and now we've built our own dedicated um, larger scale distillery down in, in the Spates Brewery in Dunedin and Spates yeah. is the number one selling here in New Zealand, but it's actually not that well-known outside New Zealand. For some reason, Lion, who owns Spates, keep buying craft breweries like Panhead and Emerson's, and they always develop those brands and export them to Australia. But Spates, I don't know has if it's ever been actually available in Australia. Have you ever seen it over here, Crafting? No, uh, I haven't. No,
0: heard no, of it. I, haven't. And I'm, I like to think I know i a craft beer, I, I haven't heard of it. Yeah. yeah,
1: well, it's it's, it's one of the rare memories, it is, though. isn't it? Really? Yeah. yeah, I mean, back back in the day, you drank Lion or DB or Lucky. You get your hands that on stakes. You
2: were doing really well. That, that,
1: that <laughs> was it's intense. It
2: it was delving into craft beer, wasn't it, back then? It, 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 it
1: and, was. It was. Monte's was
3: the other one, wasn't it? You're yeah, oh, yeah. It and
1: that's the other craft.
3: And they brought that over here, but for whatever reason, um space hasn't been brought over here. But it's a beautiful big distiller uh brewery down in downtown Dunedin. Really gorgeous eighteen seventies series of sort of colonial structures and, and um our distillery itself is up in the highest point of that distillery, up in the mill house, which is this lovely big Arched building at the very um, highest point of what's about a seven-storey complex of of um, mill houses and bottling halls and and brewery buildings. So yeah, but it's a lovely part of lovely part of New Zealand, Dunedin. It's sort of not necessarily on the touring route like Queenstown is, or um, or. Uh, Auckland, but it's, um, it's a very reminiscent city of Hobart. Very similar history, very similar harbour, very similar mountains. It's a really beautiful town of about 120,000 people with a really big university and a big university culture. Part of it's sort of the fabric of the community there is the university. Mm.
1: And it was a good scattering of, based, of Scottish people too, it was
2: Scottish that's history. Right, there, it? It, was, it was based on the street map of
3: Edinburgh. It's yeah. and
2: stairs. Yeah. And are. the
3: old name of Edinburgh was Dunedin, and that's um, yeah, that's uh, that's why they adopted that name.
2: Huh? Wow. There you
3: go. So, so go
1: back, go back further, Greg. Go back early uh, twenty ten, earlier than that. How did you get into it? All? What, what, what was your, what was your background that, um, that got you into this? I mean, you you mentioned uh, Bill and Lynn Lark, and you, and you knew them, and that.
3: So, and you mentioned Nant,
1: pre that, what what were you doing? Where, yeah, where so,
3: I grew up in, in Bothwell, um, which is my hometown, my family's got a big old farm, and I was always interested in the history of the area, and I wanted to, um, the farm's best known for having Australia's oldest golf course on it, so... I was interested in somehow turning that golf history into golf tourism and giving us a reason to restore all these old colonial buildings and barns and, and convict cottages and so on. So, I after uni, sorry after school, I went off to Scotland and worked for a year as a caddy in um, in St Andrews, um, just trying to learn about golf history and golf tourism. And then, but at night times, I worked in the old Road Hole Bar. Uh, in the Old Course Hotel and that at that time had the world's largest single malt menu and um, it was 1995 was a really important year in single malt because Diageo which back then was called United Distillers and Vintners they launched the classic malts range which was really the first investment by a big multinational in selling and explaining the terroir of whiskey and because our bar was one of their four big whiskey embassies. They invested a lot of money in our our sort of specialist whiskey staff, which I'd somehow conned my way into being class barman. So, um, yeah, they invested a lot. Every other week, Diageo hosted us either at one of their distilleries or one of their blenders or, um, distillers would come into our distillery and do workshops and tutorials for all of us just to really learn the stories and learn the um, production differentiation and techniques of all these different um, Diageo distilleries, which, you know, even today I, I dare say probably 60 or 70% of the distillery production capacity in Scotland is all owned by that one company. So it was a really formative year for me about learning about single malt whiskey. Mm, yeah. That's astounding
0: that one company can own so many distilleries within Scotland. That's it's astounding. Yeah,
3: that they can have. Well, that power and the other nice connection. It. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the connection also is the distillery that we bought in New Zealand. Sorry, the whiskey that we bought was distilled by Seagram's, and Seagram's in Canada were actually the biggest shareholder in United Distillers and Vintners. And between Seagram's and Four Roses and all of their distilleries in Kentucky and Tennessee, Seagram's controlled, and they also had a 50% share in Japan with Kirin. Um, so between those two companies, or sorry, but Seagram itself ultimately controlled about 80% of beverage distilled liquid at the time, not, not petroleum or distillates for the fuel industry, but literally they generated 80% of all uh, worldwide beverage distillation. So it was amazing, you know, m- amazing monopoly almost at the time. That's in the 70s and 80s, so quite a while ago now. But, yeah, and the New Zealand distillery was their furthest, you know, their furthest remotest from Canada, from their headquarters, and the southernmost distillery in the world was the, their distillery in Dunedin. Hmm.
1: And was that the the infamous uh, Wilson's Whiskey? That was... Um... Uh, that... With, it was Willowbank,
3: Willowbank Willow Distillery in Dunedin.
1: Willowbank, okay, yep. Yeah. Yep. Heard of that one? yeah.
3: yeah. And, and that's so, yeah, where yeah. all the Wilsons was made crafty. I mean, when you went through uni crafty, you were still drinking Wilsons then, weren't you? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, that, that turned me off. Um, <laughs> that's where eight
2: eight.
1: You, know, you know how our, our job is, is to get people back on the whiskey horse uh, at a cellar door, you know they've had a bad experience in, in their in their youth. And you go, would you like whiskey? And they go, oh no, I had a bad experience. Well, I had a bad experience, and my bad experience was Wilson's whiskey, right? So, it, I didn't touch whiskey until I was about eighteen. I was about forty before I, I even tried whiskey again and get anywhere near my near my lips. And when you released. The, it was the 21-year-old Wilson's Whiskey under New Zealand Whiskey Collection. That was uh, – mm-hmm. how long ago was that, Greg? That was six months ago or something like that?
3: Six months, yeah. I think it's yeah, yeah January,
1: yep. So I had to get a bottle. I had to get a bottle, and I had to see um, how I was going to react to it. You know, was I going to have – flashbacks that, that knowing that it was a Wilson's whiskey or, or not the good news is I drank it and I still drink it so I got I got over my my Wilson's Wilson's pain
0: <laughs> I how it. You went with that.
1: yeah yeah no, it was good it was it was very um for one of a general description it was very space it, it was it was very fruity it was it's was very very approachable um, and it's one. You know, if someone comes into the shed and they want to try something to start with, uh, yeah, it's a good one to start with. So yeah, yeah, you know.
3: That would, yeah, uh, it's it's a it's it had a funny mash bill. So, Wilton's was was six sorry seventy percent malt barley spirit, so single malt spirit, and thirty percent straight. Barley grain spirit through a column still that hadn't been malted, it had just been mashed and enzymes added. Um, So it was quite an interesting mash bill. And still today, like when we, when that whiskey, as in the same spirit like our Dunedin Doublewood, our aged Doublewood, is that same liquid. Um, And yeah, people don't know it's a single grain. One one company in Ireland put it in an award as a single, um, they called it a a single pot still blended grain spirit so you know who knows who knows what you want to call it but they they just didn't they just didn't have a category for it because it was all barley so it was not a a, you know it it didn't meet certain but it was from a single distillery and anyway all those you could call it lots of different things i think
1: from a single distillery and it's 100 percent barley so yeah it it falls it could fall under a category couldn't
3: it does it not still
0: fall under the single malt category then
3: no, because only 70% of it was malted and the other 30% was oh, right. just crushed yep. grain mashed in with enzymes to get the sugars out. and, get, Oh, sorry, get the ferment, fermentation going. So, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So It's
1: got to be
3: yeah, 100%, 100%. malted.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. There you go. So just before we move on, I just wanted to uh, do a quick little um, shout-out. Uh, happy birthday to our most regular viewer. And um, also, Youngie, who hasn't actually said hi, I'm sure he's watching. He always does. Uh, Youngie, as well, doesn't look a day over 80. (laughs) He's going to love you saying that. (laughs) (laughs) He's not here, so I can say what I like. (laughs) Like, There you go. Happy birthday
1: happy birthday yes so how is the new zealand election going how's business
3: yeah we've had we've had a cracking year this year last year was um after the very buoyant first year of COVID. you know when there's so much money washing around in the economy from all the government stimulus um things were great and we're also distilling um whereas last year things tightened up, you know, there wasn't as much, you know, sort of COVID dragged on a lot longer. And, most, uh, you know, our our most affordable whiskey is $120 for a 500ml and all of our aged whiskey is sort of, you know, $300 and and up. So, it's yeah, it's pretty super premium price point at the moment. We're looking forward to all the whiskey we started laying down last year, you know, to be ready towards the end of next year. And then, you know, we'll be able to go back to a 700ml bottle and, and, you know, being a sub $100 packaging um, price point, which, you know, means we can be a bit more of a, a higher volume, more relevant brand. So, so yeah, but this year's been great. Because of all the whiskey shows, we've seen this um, just incredible response literally across Australia um, where we've been doing the shows. We haven't done Western Australia yet, but we've done South Australia, Victoria, Sydney and, and Brisbane. We've done pretty much two shows in every city now and, you So that's had a great response because the Australian market for us is sort of the low-hanging fruit. You know, we've got a great relationship with Dan Murphy's and expatriate Kiwis um, are very nationalistic in their spending, so we get great support, um, you know, in in the cities where there are high concentrations of Kiwis, particularly on the eastern seaboard where it seems they have tighter-knit frameworks and, um, you know, networks. So, um, And then Europe's been a really big market for us, um, particularly... At that, those higher proof, uh, rarer whiskies, um, they just, you know, they just don't seem to be anywhere near as price sensitive for that European market and wow. our distributors over there are fabulous. And Taiwan's a really good market. Um, so they, they also wow. Taiwan just love high proof spirit and they love really rich ruby coloured whiskeys. So our, our um, all of our red wine, you know, matured whiskies, red wine barrel matured whiskies, you know, have a very good following there. So. So those two markets are really kicking on again as well. But, um, it, yeah, so it's a good year for us, Crafty. We, at the start of COVID, we had to get a bit more lean. Um, you know, we had to let some really great some really great team members, um, you know, move on to new things. But thankfully, they did all find, you know, great new opportunities as we sort of had to downsize a bit. Um, obviously, we had to close our cellar door, and we haven't reopened that. Uh, but we hope to have that reopened for this coming summer tourist season in Omaru. Uh, Oamaru is a really poppy little tourist town, an hour up the coast from Dunedin. Really beautiful old harbour from the eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties. Very much like Salamanca in in Hobart. So, um, yeah, we look forward to having our cellar door up and cranking away again this season, and, and that'll sort of complete our business um, operations to what it was pre COVID.
1: Okay. Mm. And you're getting you're going across the ditch a fair bit or, or do you you sort of base yourself in, in Australia at Ratho Farm and and uh, you've got a team over there that, that's doing the work as, as far as a management team?
3: Yeah, so Michael Byers is a – I mean, I think he'd be a great guy for you all to interview. Michael was a Scottish uh, – sorry, a New Zealand farm boy from Tapanui in West Otago who was a winemaker, ended up in Germany making vintages and then ended up marrying a Finnish girl and ended up in Finland. You can't go wine making there, so he ended up distilling and he'd been distilling at the biggest distillery in, in Helsinki for many years and, and during COVID we sort of headhunted him out and relocated him and his whole family back from Finland to um, Omeroo so Michael um, runs the whole distilling team, the production, the bottling, the maturation, and we'll be running the cellar door. And they also run the New Zealand domestic market, um, right. and we, from our Hobart team here, we do all of our export and logistics and and brand and brand management and packaging for the you know the rest of the world. So that's all run from here, and that's um, yeah. So it's sort of it's always worked fairly well because it's good to be in Tassie. You know, it's such a dynamic vibrant, tight-knit community of very innovative, passionate distillers and very supportive of one another. So um, I think we we feed a lot off that, which is really good.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So how did, of...
0: you find, how, how did you find COVID lockdowns? And New Zealand's only just come out of complete lockdown now, hasn't it? So you're able to get back over. yeah how, how did you find yeah, so that?
3: It, it was a bit like Australia. In the first year, there was a lot more stimulus around. So online sales were great and spending generally, um, you know, was good. Um, but, yeah, the second year of COVID, as in last year, was much harder because of – just because there wasn't the same stimulus around, it was dragging on a lot longer. Um, and New Zealand, as you know, had a lot more sort of – a bit like Sydney and Melbourne in a lot of ways, they had a lot more sort of – false dawns and reopenings and shutdowns again and the hospitality sector really was decimated, a bit like Melbourne, you know, at its worst. So um, that mm. certainly hurt um, and, you know, we had to just come up with a lot of new packages and innovations and, 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 and in some ways we were a bit lucky that we became so focused on installing our distillery um, in spades that, you know, that that was enough and a big enough job with our newer, leaner, narrower team um, that it, it sort of, it feels like it all worked out okay. Like, we got through it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. We'd written, sure. No one would want yeah, to go no. through it again, but at least we got That's through it.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Certainly, I think we've all got so our, our war stories of uh, surviving COVID and, and how we've had to adapt and change. Um, what, what do you think the biggest change for you will be now that sort of we're coming out of COVID? From what That's you did two years ago. Yeah,
3: I think um, yeah, David Vitali once said to me, um, you know, Starwood was going great, and you know, I talked to David a lot, chatting to him again today, and Star was going really well, but he wonders where he might have got that brand to if he'd never had to run a hospitality venue, and where um, I, I really we it has been a much simpler operation and team to run without that cellar door and bar and so on so one little thing i'm a bit hesitant about is um we've got to reopen the cellar door because it's a key part of the town destination at the end of the day it's you know half a million dollars of additional revenue at very high margins you know a lot of tourists will pick up a hundred mil bottle for sort of 70 dollars um, to put on their you know in their airline baggage and go home with so it's a great channel, but, gosh, it just creates a lot more labour units, a lot more, you know, hours, um, and it does take your focus away from sort of, in some ways anyway, from higher value brand penetration and, and um, brand development and adding value to your brand in higher value markets than in, in that seller door town. But as we all know, like Starwood and Lark and, you know, um, lime burners in Western Australia. There is an inherent value in telling your own story on your own property. So that's, mm. I think that's what will make it very worthwhile doing. That people can actually come and see the provenance and the the reality of our production and our passionate people and what they're doing. You know, on the tools, on the day, on the job. So, yeah. So, but that I think I hope that answers the question. Other than <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. only thing in COVID, that's the only thing COVID. It's been interesting to me how much simpler our business has become without having to run a cellar door and bar. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Dave's yeah, interesting. You find with,
1: um, with, with smaller distilleries too, um, that whole telling the story and that cellar door experience is absolutely crucial uh, to the business and, yeah. and building the brand, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, you, can't, you can't take it for granted. That's, that's for sure that's that's my understanding anyway talking to different people and our own experience
3: yeah no it's too good an opportunity but then i know that michael who's you know in charge of a lot of things with both production and distilling and you know maturation management and and everything you know he will get just he will get pulled away by every other you know visitor into the distillery will want to bit chew his ear off and have slug a slug a dram with him and so he'll be cursing it. But anyway, I think I think we can manage it. I still think the upside, I think the benefits outweigh the negatives. Mm. And what's,
1: what's the, the whole uh, distilling scene like in uh, NZ? In, in I mean, it's, it's it's one of the few places on the planet where uh, home distilling is, is legal. Um, and it makes you think that there would be quite a push, uh, home distillers moving in and as a brewery sets up, a distillery sets up. Is that what's happening in NZ in, in or is it
3: fairly
1: still yeah. in the piece?
3: So in New Zealand, it's interesting. You don't even have to get a license to run a distillery. So, yeah. like, there is no legal process or customs bonded to actually run a still. Obviously, to store whiskey, to consume whiskey, all of those things have, um, you know, more regulations around them. But uh, and, in fact, their interpretation of, um, you know, the world's, you know, the ISO 9000, you know, whatever the all the guidelines, best practice are of um, on the storage of flammable goods and um, fire separations and fire cells, I mean, it is onerous in New Zealand. I mean, we I had out of stairs over in Sydney for Whiskey Live and we went to Hickson House and we went to um, Archie Rose and we went to Manly and they just could not believe that, how every, the common sense prevails over here in the distilling. You can have barrels in the same room as your, you know, distillery. Well, in Scotland you can't do that anymore and certainly here in, in New Zealand, um, you know, that that, that that is impossible to get approved. So hmm. become very onerous. And, in fact, the, the, the guidelines regulations in New Zealand are really messy and muddy at the moment while they try and overhaul. So as an industry lobby group, they are trying to engage with government to try and... Just get some practicality around it, rather than, you know, theoretical. Um, you know, in, incredibly expensive impositions on product on producers. So, but it, yeah, but it is interesting that in New Zealand, you you anyone can build a still and start running it.
0: Mm. And so we've we've heard from uh, New Zealanders in the past that you don't believe that that impacts the actual commercial distillery. Uh, industry because those home distillers are happy just being home distillers making their own stuff for themselves and their friends and leaving it at that. Then they don't have the aspiration of going uh, mainstream with their product.
3: Is I think your... I dropped out there. Sorry, um, Luke. If if I didn't That's catch right. the end of that question. So yeah, we, we we've heard from from New Zealanders
0: before that um, they're not concerned or that. Um, the home distillers aren't really um, interested in moving up into the commercial space. Uh, they're happy just distilling their own thing for their own consumption and for their for their friends and family and just leaving it at that. Is that your sort of um, take on the home distiller um, mentality or do you think there are more and more who are wanting to go mainstream?
3: I think it's a legacy of... Um... Not a lot of people know that a lot of New Zealand, like America, during the um, temperance movement in the 1920s, actually a lot of went for prohibition. So what I understand is um, as part of the trade-off of prohibition was while the commercial production and sale of of spirits was banned and, you know, beer and a lot of other things in a lot of regional um, areas, and still today in New Zealand there's a lot of... um, government control boards that distribute liquor. So, you know, down in Invercargill and Southland and, um, you know, Oamaru and North North Otago is one of the um, one of the more recent ones to go to a more liberal distribution model. And I, I'm pretty sure there's some on the North Island over on the East Coast. So uh, I believe what I understand is that as part of prohibition, the trade-off was to really loosen up the, um, you know, domestic production and consumption of spirits, even though, if you look at it, they're banning it, you know, for any trade, but then they appear to turn a blind eye to people making it and drinking it at home. So, yeah. Hmm.
0: So, it's obviously, someone in government is a home distiller and is happy just to let it be. <laughs>
2: yeah, you just sent
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably because I don't believe there's a big moonshine in trade you know, outside maybe a few pockets. So, like, it's just not, if the police are got to spend time doing things, that's probably not their, their greatest fascination or focus is going to be some a bunch of home distillers. So um, I'm not, yeah, that I, I, I can't. It's okay.
2: going
3: oh, so. no. We've lost no, him.
0: Knowing one, one,
2: one, knowing one or two cops myself... Um, they're, they're a little partial to the old whiskey themselves. so
0: Yeah, right. So they're happy to, um, yeah, yeah, just sort of turn a blind eye and if a, if a bottle of whiskey happens to land in their, in their hand, then so be it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's always worth, Luke. Yeah, absolutely. The <laughs> booze economy. I love it. I love it can i just say as well just before we move on so i've i've polished off the hobart uh winterfest 2022 absolute fucking cracker
2: well that's not fair you're saving these things
0: i've still got the waterford i've still got the waterford uh and then the highwayman uh batch three that is good stuff, but oh my god, it it's a kick in the throat. It's a big one. <laughs> it is huge, it's, uh, but it's only fifty three point nine only. But there you go. Interesting. The Hobart's fifty five. So, but that one was smooth and jammy and lovely. Um, but yeah, the the fires and floods there is fire in that fucker. Absolutely. Wow. It's a good
1: name for. For a release, that's fire in the fire in that fucker. Yeah. Uh, taking,
2: uh, right. notes
1: <laughs> so when you're when you're overseas and and you're promoting New Zealand whiskey and, and what you're doing, and I imagine you get hit with a general question: What is New Zealand whiskey? What what, what makes it different? What 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 makes it stand out? How, how do you because it's it's not a provincial thing or anything like that, but how do how do you reply to people like that when, when you talk about New Zealand whiskey?
3: I like um I like that we can sort of say that as a New World whiskey nation, like New Zealand got really big commercial distilling re- going again in nineteen sixty-five in Dunedin. And um, you know, and it ran and it's run right through since then. So you know, a really big distillery was bought. Um, Seagram's a major international player. Owned that distillery for, you know, nearly a couple of decades. Then Foster's a really big international player. Bought that distillery. And, you know, ran it for several years before they decided to break it up and send all that, all those stills and everything to Fiji to make rum. But you know, they had thirty thousand two hundred liter barrels sitting in the old Dunedin Airport hangars. So. That was a serious volume of whisky that Seagram's and then Foster's had laid down. Um, you know, it, it was one of the biggest stocks of single malt whisky in the world outside of outside of Scotland. That actually met the provenance of single malt whisky. So, so it's got a lot of heritage in terms of stylistically crafty. I don't, I don't feel that there's a you know because it has evolved over various owners and they started peating whisky and bringing that in in the late 80s. and So I wouldn't say there's anything distinctly, um, you know, un- that's not found in Scotland somewhere or in Tasmania somewhere in the actual distilling. But obviously our people have got different experiences and different um, perceptions of the kind of and the style of whisky they're making. But I think what we're really focusing on as in our company is we are only using New Zealand barley's Um, We're now building relationships with farms and with the malting company, Gladfield, so that we can get those, like literally, um, you know, grain to glass, all those nice little buzzwords. And, again, we're not the first people to do that. Um, But we're really focused on using New Zealand wine barrels, French oak, New Zealand wine barrels for maturation. Maybe not for all of our whiskies. I mean, our South Island single malt, we've always very much focused that on being a you know, a, a, a bourbon, American oak, ex-bourbon cast matured whiskey, very classic style, very side like fla- you know, flavour profile, you know, quite floral, quite light, quite elegant, very prominent caramel and, and honey and vanilla from that bourbon barrel, um, but not as complex as our whiskeys that we finish in the French oak, New Zealand red wine barrels where, you know, you've got that spiciness, you've got that pepperiness from the French oak, um, and you've just got that completely different and it's not it's a bit like starwood as in we're not just finishing them in red wine barrels we always make sure that our double wood and now our double cask have had more time in red wine barrel than they've had in the bourbon barrel so that it's not just a, a polishing it up with a six months at the end in a wine cast for a little bit of color and maybe a little bit of flavor it's actually its prominent influence has been its red wine barrel time so um, and I think New Zealand red wines, you know, do give a different provenance to, you know, using Tassie red wines. I mean, it irritates us that we have to send New Zealand wine casts all the way to Tassie or all the way to South Australia to get recouped and cut down and shaved and charred because there is not a single cooperage in New Zealand, which is just blows my mind. Oh, wow. And we, you know, oh, we wow. are looking, we are looking forward to setting one up. But um, all those, uh, all those things, I hope, um, you know, can can. It's a whisky that, you know, we know is world class. It's, you know, it's had a great market globally and it's had great accolades globally. But it's always such a tricky question crafty, what, you know, what is what is different about New Zealand whisky? There's as much diversity within the New Zealand distillers, just like there are in Tasmania and in, in mainland Australia, to actually try and really grab one, one flavour profile or one production style that defines New Zealand whisky, you know, profoundly if i hope that makes some sense (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. No,
1: no, totally totally agree i mean one of one of the things that um you know i talk about from from an australian whiskey standpoint if people ask at a market or or a cellar door or something go uh what is a uniquely australian whiskey um it's a really hard question because there is no unique australian style of whiskey i mean each distillery is doing different things they are different techniques and different barley and different barrels and uh, so you're not going to get those those areas of providence like you do in Scotland, which is now mainly driven by Mark you know, low line low, low lowlands highlands space that sort of thing. Um, it's a uniqueness with each distillery and what they're doing and and their their approach to making whiskey, isn't it? very much so.
3: yeah. Yeah, and it I think that's part of the excitement and sort of industrious innovation of a of a new young you know energetic innovative industry. Um, I've got to say, in Scotland, if you took away um, a lot of the outliers like the small distillers and um, the the really the new startups, if you look at probably eighty five percent of Scottish whiskey there is a sort of a sameness or a narrowness to the flavour profile that is really only influenced at one end of the spectrum by peat. I mean, you can look at Glendronic and Glenfarclas and look at sherry barrels and all these other influences in the barrels, but I would actually say that from, a, um, from a liquid point of view, you've got peated, you know, there's a scale of how much peat's in them, and then you've got a lot of um, whiskies which I believe the general consumer really isn't going to pick a hell of a lot of difference between any of the Speyside whiskies if they've all been matured in bourbon barrels. So what I'm saying is I feel that there, unless you're a really discerning whiskey drinker, there is a sameness to Scotch whiskey, which might be a good thing because there is a, you know, they're developing a brand, they're developing um, a DNA that has a consistency across it, whereas Tasmania, there is so much diversity. Um, Probably the main thing that unites Tasmania is so many of them historically have used small casks. So small casks, I feel, do bring a a certain style and a flavour profile and a texture. Um, And in New Zealand, it's a bit everywhere. Like Cadrona, are almost exclusively maturing in big, you know, 200-litre barrels. We're doing 20s and 60s and 100s and 200s. And I believe that the new big distillery up at uh, Pocono, south of Auckland, you know, they're doing a, a mix of casks as well. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see where New Zealand settles out, whether we end up having a sameness where we can build a distinctive flavour expectation, like I feel Scotland has, and I think Japanese whisky actually has a bit of that too, or whether we end up as diverse as Tasmania and Australia. And I kind of hope we do end up diverse because you know, I don't think every, I don't you don't want all the whiskies to taste too similar. Yeah, yeah, you
0: want diversity absolutely've Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we've, we've right. yeah that's it we we've got everything from the red gum cask to absolute uh, smoky bonfires of things uh, all the way out to your unpeated um, uh, gentle expressions it's a it's a beautiful mix of, uh, of yeah. something
3: for everyone and I mean I've become very interested recently in the difference between, um, you know, third and fourth field barrels, ex-bourbon, where it's very spirit-forward versus, you know, Tasmanian-influenced style where I just love port, port barrel matured, sherry barrel matured, red, red wine. And now I've discovered Wolfburn and some of the old Mort and, you know, uh, which really focus on using tight old barrels. And the colour of them is like water with just a hint of yellow where they're saying we want our spirit to be all about the cereal and the yeast and the ferment. And we don't want the barrel to do anything other than soften and, you know, let some of the volatiles blow off. And we don't want the barrel to dominate the distillate. And I'm interested in that. that, And this is only something I've got interested in probably since we started building our own distillery. Um, So I don't know what you think about that, Crafty, what you aim for. But it's a pretty – it's pretty – low-hanging fruit to say, let's make a spirit that is so good that it's, A, it's great as new make, but, B, it hardly needs a barrel flavour profile. It just needs time in barrel to soften, you know, and, and you know, get a bit more texture and viscosity. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm loving Wolfburn at the moment. They only use tight old barrels, you know. They, they don't want a barrel that is barrel forward. They want spirit forward whisky.
0: Uh, no. You got one there? Look. I've got For one. To- I've got one. what Which one have you got? I've got the Lightly Peated uh, Morven. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mor- Morven, yeah. Lightly Peated Morven. And, um, and that's, that's Wolf- Wolfburn. That- that's Wolfburn, yeah, yeah. I don't even know where I got that from. But I have it. and it's still—it's got dust on it. I haven't touched oh, it. In going to say, a while. It's got a bit of dust
2: on it. You haven't opened that one too often.
0: No, no, it's been. Open it. See what you think.
1: <laughs> Poor drinker, Luke.
0: <laughs> I will. I yeah, will. I'll no, it's a—it's
1: it right a, it's a good comment, uh, Greg, um, yeah. because there there are different schools of thought on that. I mean, the the traditional marketing is eighty percent of your flavor comes from the barrel, and the further you go down the manufacturing process of making whiskey, the least impact it has uh, on the overall flavour. Yeah. Colour,
0: mm. barley. That. It is. It's it's it's, it's like it is like water. Look at that, mm. very clear.
1: But yeah, the other the other a real
0: fruitiness here. to it as well. It's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, the other the other school of thought is, that, as you said, is um, you want the raw material to speak. You don't want the cask to dominate, uh, because well, what's the point using, you know, high quality barley and and, and have a really good brew and, and good yeast pro- profile and all
2: that? Yeah, if you just want well, all the hassle that goes into making that really good brew. Yeah.
3: yeah. So to be more, and, to more and more and more. You know, if the, there's no doubt, the green bottle masked the fact that they were really pale. They weren't even straw. They were water with a hint of yellow liquids, and they were delicious. They were powerful. They were flavoursome. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if a lot of those whiskies have caramel, you know, non-flavour caramel, which is completely legit and very, very common across Scotland, obviously, Um, just to try and add the look of flavour because, in fact, People look at a pale, watery whiskey and they presume it's gonna be flavourless. Whereas, you know, we're hopefully all wise enough to know that sometimes those whiskies are the absolute knockout, you know, knockout mouth kicks because you're sort of not expecting this big fruit bomb in your mouth or this big kick of peat, um, because it just looks so flavorless. I mean, I've got a clontaf whiskey here. Can can you guys see this? This is Clontaf, an Irish yeah. whiskey. That's got no colour in it, and that is actually a really nice, um, a really nice single malt. It's a proper single malt from Ireland. I'll crack it now. Um, I used to have three of them; I've only got one left. It's about fifteen years old, but yeah, no. full of flavour. Triple distilled, of course. If
0: only mm. you could share it. Mm.
2: Mm.
0: That would be lovely. Well, I, I actually haven't. I haven't cracked that Wolfburn for. I don't know how long, oh, a couple of years maybe it's been sitting there. I and um, I think that's going to disappear very quickly. Uh-oh.
2: Stick <laughs> it back up on the shelf where you found
0: it and leave it there. Ah, uh, it's too dark over
1: there.
0: <laughs> it can sit on my desk for a little while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, Luke, if you, if you had a if your whiskey before was a big powerful whiskey and you had that after you probably wouldn't taste it would you
0: it's, well that's it's, the thing to... i can taste oh yeah the 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 um the the highwayman was just that's brutally big. uh brutally big and yes i can still feel it in my throat but the wolfburn the the fruitiness comes through so easily that it's so light on the nose. It's it's very sort of stone um like fresh stone fruits, not your jammy stone fruits. Uh it's very fresh, vibrant stone fruits and um yeah, just lovely jubbly. I think I'll finish that one. Sort of peaches
1: and peaches and apricots,
0: Luke. Mm. Yeah, yeah, peaches, apricots, a yeah. little bit of citrus. Yeah, um nice, nice. And, yeah, just very, very light, very, very nice summer whiskey, I would say. Nice. So, for me, I, I sort of nice. look at, at, at the colour of a whiskey and go, well, there's not much colour there. That's going to be a good summer one. It'll be fresh. It'll be vibrant. Whereas, if I look at something like that, I go, yeah, that's a winter warmer. <laughs> a bit
1: of a so that's, that's a big one. <laughs> That's so what's, what's um, what's exciting you about um, what's happening in Australia, Greg, from from the the industry standpoint? I mean, you're in you're in the you're in the spiritual homeland of Australian whiskey, um, and it's a very very vibrant place, as you said. Um, what's exciting you about what's going on right now?
3: Uh, I I really like um, I really like to see all the different Tassie distilleries that are. Doing completely new takes on very ancient, you know, Scottish traditions. So you might know Loreni have built this massive drum malting machine. Like it's it's huge. It's the size of a, you know, semi-trailer truck. You know, like a big milk tanker. And it's it. No one's done that before. It's a literally a big commercial industrial version of Peter Bignall's, um commercial clothes drying malt machine. Um, yeah. So that's interesting and they've got Peter Bailey to build it and obviously Peter's been a huge figure in the um, Tasmanian steelmaking industry or Australian steelmaking. I love about the Tassie red gum smoked whiskey and even some of the Tassie, uh, sorry, not Tassie, um, the mainland um, people that are using, you know, red gum and bark for malting. I mean, that just makes sense. Why would we use peat if, if, I mean, except in Tassie and, and, you know, unless you've got natural peat around you. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have had John Wilstra's Coraline distillery seaweed smoked whiskey I mean why aren't people with the maritime distilleries you know burning seaweed to malt their barley I mean that's that's a fantastic flavor product it's incredibly salty but effervescent and sweet Um, and I said to John I said John I think this is a world first I think I, I think there there now has been an example someone in Canada was doing it as well but I like, I have never heard it's such an obvious thing to do, to smoke whiskey burning seaweed. You know, that's awesome. So those kind of things, and basically what I like is where we're trying to break out of making scotch. Like, why uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why people were bringing in petered scotch um, barley. Like, if you're trying to make a Tassie whiskey or a New Zealand whiskey, it's that, still that, that me to me is you know, it just seems a bit incongruent with the idea when you actually know you've got great barley farmers and malting companies, you know, locally. Um, so there's a lot going on in Tassie and Australian whiskey. Um, I think Morris or Rutherglen, Glen, you know, getting our price points down, getting our, you know, getting our whiskey a bit more affordable, and what Star would have done, that needs to happen. You know, we need to see it not just as a bespoke artisanal. Um, thing um which is awesome what you're doing crafty and all the different styles and nuances and single cast batch by batch but it, we also i think just need some really world-class 80 and 90 dollar whiskeys in the market and um and that's happening now so yeah i think i think there's a heap going on and it's also interesting the number of internationals now coming to work in in australia in in the whiskey world because they they see something going on here that is quite pioneering and innovative um yeah. So, and whereas you know, in New Zealand, sorry, in Japan, there's probably only been four or five startup distilleries in the last twenty years. All the big Japanese, you know, whiskies have all been distilleries since the 1920s. So, there hasn't been the same endemic, you know, innovation and small, you know, nimble, agile little companies in the, That's only started to happen recently. So, I think we are still benefiting from that, and that's a difference between Australia where it's still very, I think, backyard, artisanal, not a lot of corporate, whereas in New Zealand, I've got to say, um, we're the small end of the balance sheet. You know, like, there's Cardrona's a really big capitalised company. The new big distillery outside Auckland that's owned by Bardeen, um and a French cognac company, that's got seriously, you know, big, big millions of dollars behind it. The boys that have got Scapegrace gin, They're building a really big distillery in Cromwell. They're saying that's going to be the biggest Scotch producer, or sorry, whiskey producer in New Zealand. Um, So in some ways, whereas Australia's got whatever it is, 350 distilleries, and probably only five or ten of them are big corporate players, in New Zealand there's only making Scotch, making whiskey, there's only around, um, say, 20, maybe 25 distillers making whiskey, but the biggest end of that are, are actually big heavily capitalized companies with a big corporate ambitions of making high volume you know more affordable whiskey from day one so there's just a different composition of the you know of the industry from day one if that makes sense
1: yeah no it does does that also mean that you know with the high level of capitalization that's going on they're building operations which are going to be very much targeted on export and riding on the back of New Zealand and, and the brand New Zealand out there on the international market?
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Like um, Matt Johns with the Pocono Distillery, you know, he's already got Talabardine with, you know, huge distribution networks across America and Europe and, and Asia, I presume. I don't know very well, but um, and Scapegrace, um, I mean we have always developed our product as well. Like we just gave everything a whole geographic sense of place of New Zealandness, because yep. you know New Zealand doesn't have a Dan Murphy's where you can get an account and get into three hundred stores. Um, you know the biggest, as you know, craft is Glengarry. across Auckland. It's sort of got sixteen or seventeen stores. Every other liquor, sa- you know, wholesaler, sorry, liquor retailer, you have to sell, you know, hand sell almost store by store and ship it independently, individually an invoice so you're doing a lot of admin or the beauty of dan murphy's is you know you've got one relationship one monthly invoice one central you know distribution center and bang you're hitting you know hitting all of australia with one with one sort of relationship so yeah i think a lot of those new zealand companies have looked at the new zealand domestic market and said it's very fragmented it's very hard um but what we do know is the new zealand brand is very sought after and it sells very easily in america in hong kong in London, you know, and in in Frankfurt. So, yeah, I think they'll all be very ex- export focused, like we are. Mm.
0: And what what sort of volume are you actually putting out and exporting at the moment?
3: So last well, so last year we laid down um, just over forty thousand liters. So you know that's not massive. Like we have more capacity than that, but we're just um, you know until everyone's everything's out of COVID and we've got our duty free markets back. It's not like we're rolling in cash, you know, for the next few years until that is ready for market. So we exported from New Zealand last year and, and we sort of look at Dan Murphy's not as an export market. It's like part of our broader Australasian domestic market. But if I included Dan Murphy's, you know, I always talk in bottles, which I know that's we're not big enough to talk in cases yet, um, mm. but, yeah, we, we sold like, 32 34,000 bottles, you know, internationally last year outside of New Zealand. So that's uh, – and that's that, a mix that's of so – you've got to remember that. our bottle sizes are 350 ml, 375, and 500 mil bottles. So, um, you know, that's, that's sort of – that's where we're at that's with cool. our export that's sales. And New Zealand is a is – that's a lot of bottles. It is a lot of bottles.
0: Don't sell yourself short there. That's a lot of fucking bottles.
3: <laughs> Sorry, I missed that.
0: I said, don't sell it's yourself a lot a of bottle. bottles.
3: It's a lot of bottles. <laughs> yeah, but the big boys talk about 30,000 cases. So I don't yeah, want to, yeah, you know. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> this
0: isn't so, about the big boys. So this is about. Yeah,
2: there's a, there's a, so, so just to put it back in context, how many bottles have we sold crafty, a year? Fuck That's <laughs> That's not not, not though.
1: I wish we were selling forty <laughs> thousand. We would we would be in a bigger shed. <laughs> I,
3: I, I was telling the boys I crafty. Uh, I sent I sent those photos crafty to you from Hickson House because I had yeah, five yeah. five or four of your releases. A couple I hadn't tried before, so I they were both like forty eight bucks a slug. Uh, good. If they can get that, like it was just obsc- obscene the prices I, for dram and whiskey. That, we're but... that price for our whiskey. <laughs> good on them, and good on you. Good on you for getting it. It's fantastic. It's great. I mean, that's the great thing. And they knew the story, like the little French guy or Bolivian guy in there, who you know, with an accent, is a lovely fella, and he he knew your story. He knew more about you than your wife does. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's so we definitely really. play the,
1: the the small end of town. No question of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I bottled. It was actually a couple of individual bottles uh, just for a special thing for them. And uh, yeah, you got to try them. It sounds good. I saw those photos. I thought, wow. <laughs> Unless you knew the story behind them, they they just sit on the shelf as as what is that?
3: <laughs> so yeah, no, it's good. No, no, good. good.
1: Yeah.
3: And Crafty, yeah. are you very upfront with everyone that you're actually a Kiwi? You're not a-
1: I I play it both ways because <laughs> I've, I've lived in, I've lived in Australia longer than I've lived in NZ. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no. People know I'm a, I'm a Kiwi, and it comes out occasionally. The accent comes out. Um, I'm pretty good at keeping it down. Uh, you know, I can pull it out when I need to, but uh, yeah, yeah, both ways. Keep it keep it going both ways. <laughs> but I haven't been to NZ uh, since two thousand and four, two thousand five, I think, from memory. Wow. It's been a while.
3: Hmm. I've got a few collabs planned for you, Crafty. The, one of them on the label, it's gonna have a photo of you when you fell asleep in the fireplace at Ratho Farm Highlands Resort. And um, <laughs> that's that's gonna be the label. Oh have you got a name <laughs> for a it yet? Um, that's sleeping what? beauty, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's where the I, sleeping, I the sleeping beauty single barrel beast.
0: Uh huh, beast. Go, <laughs> <With
3: Joe. laughs> <laughs> yes, you mentioned you mentioned
1: Ratho Farm, and um, yeah, I, I stayed there. Um, I think it was two nights in the end, from memory. I think I stayed an extra night because I was just having such a good time. And I got to meet in, Greg in, and both we'll whiskey apparently.
2: and drink
1: whiskey. Sorry, Tom. In the fireplace, apparently. Oh, in the, must fire the fireplace. At the end. <laughs> Why yes, were you in the fireplace? Uh, I don't know. It, 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 uh, it was, uh, was...
3: the, the the fire the fire in the big lounge room has a big sort of pit in front of it where people sit and smoke cigars and pipes and. And blow their, their um, smoke up the chimney but Crafty and I had a few whiskies, and I think I came back from um, outside and he was, yeah, he just dozed off sitting in the fire pit in front of the, cuddling oh, a big fire dog so he didn't burn though, <laughs> that was good. But Ratho, Ratho's actually got a really interesting bit of whiskey history because um, it was settled by Alexander Reed in 1820 but, Father of Australian golf because he laid out Australia's first, or actually wasn't the first golf course, but it's the now the oldest continuous golf course. Anyway, um, he his uncle wrote the first ever economic argument for um the benefits of barley being distilled rather than being baked into bread, and it's mm-hmm. called and and it's called ah an apology for whiskey. It was written in seventeen sixty nine and it's considered to be the very first printed reference to the word whisky. Before that, whisky, um, Ibiza, and all these Gaelic words, and whisky was used a lot, I'm told, um, you know, colloquially, but it hadn't ever been printed as a word before. It's the first known printing of the word whisky. So that's 1769, and we've got we've got copies of that. I'd better send you, send you all up one because it's a fascinating, very tongue-in-cheek um, piss take on why brewers and bakers did not know what to do with barley, whereas distillers knew to, knew how to exact the best um, use of, the best economic outcome of and the best community building gain, which was distilling the barley and give the wheat and the oats and the corn to the brewers and the bakers and leave the barley fuck alone for the distillers.
0: <laughs> well, i've just put feel free I'll, I'll take a copy that'll be awesome i've just put a link to it on amazon if only i thought of setting up uh, affiliate links maybe i'd make some money uh but i've just put a link into the uh into the chat so anybody who is interested in getting uh an apology for whiskey um, there you go. It's uh what thirty-eight dollars just over thirty-eight bucks for a hard copy, hard cover, thirty bucks for a paperback. What a bargain.
3: Where where where's that link, mate? I can't see that on my screen. Where do I find that? Uh, oh, there, there. I
0: will, so up in the there's a comments section over on the right. Uh I'll oh, yeah, it here we go. Then, no, oh, I've got it the here. Phone. Here we go, Stat. Yep, there you go. Yes, there it is well done well
2: done it'll be on like audible it. and if you if you sign up to audible you get it for free for your first month
0: audible are not a sponsor todd they're not oh, a sponsor. There's, there's Amazon. sponsor <laughs> yes. there you go hit us up you can we'll, you can sponsor speaking of we're not mr beast we've not Mr. Beast. we <laughs> we really should just have a little chat oh he's gone. we lost him he he'll has gone, but
2: hopefully he will come, come back, back we'd we'll use do this time well.
0: to have a quick chat about our sponsors now I've wow. been really slack unfortunately um, I don't sponsor. know how I don't know how it happened but I forgot to load our last two episodes up on the website my bad so wow. now we have the barrel brokers episode. With Robbie, which was a yep. month ago, uh, that is now up on the website, which we will go through to iTunes and Spotify and and all, uh, Amazon and all the places where podcasts go. Um, so yeah, check out that episode, and also if you need a barrel, have a chat to have a chat to Robbie. Um, uh, happy birthday, uh, just Youngie! Just and just
1: happy on birthday, there. yeah, happy happy birthday, Youngie! Yep. I was going to say barrel brokers. So I um, I picked up a couple of uh, PX sherry casks um, the other week from uh, Robbie. So um, good barrels. Mm. I hope that's
0: all. Hold on. No, what are you showing? Too- that's a. That's a beautiful color. Look no, at no, that. No.
2: We we, we need to get one of those bottles for sort of like. Um...
0: Because
3: we'll find we'll find. Crafty, you've you, you've cracked a lot of these, haven't you, Crafty?
1: I haven't cracked that one.
3: On,
2: on
0: Rubian,
3: you know. no, we haven't had a lot no, of that.
0: No. Mm. Oh, okay, I'll like have to well, crack
3: model. If I get crafty, one, um, we're, I'm up in Sydney next month, so we'll have to catch up, guys. Please do, yeah, let yeah us know when you're up here.
0: Yep, let us know. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I will yeah, zip know. back yeah. into our sponsors, though, seeing as they, they actually paid us money to, to get a mention. Yeah. Okay,
2: <laughs> so yes. This financial year. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. We better check that out. Shit. Um, so, yes, barrel brokers, have a chat with Robbie. If you need a barrel, he'll find whatever it is that you want or need. Specialty yeah. barrels, those weird, yeah, used really barrels. He can find it all. Um, uh, I'm going to jump over to uh, Wine Oak Cooperage. Youngy, happy birthday, mates! Um, yeah. Hope you've had a good one. You should be watching us. I don't know what you're doing. That's more important. So, all right. you don't all right.
2: look a day over seventy-two. <laughs> I, that's better
0: than I, what I said at the beginning which was like 80 or something <laughs> uh, then we've got uh, staying on the uh, the wood side of things we've got trans wood uh, master coopers um, absolutely if you're in Tassie they're your closest cooper I believe
3: Probably who do you I get your barrels you, but, through,
2: hey, but, hey give it a go
3: yeah yeah um, Greg, who do you get your so David? David Schmider is an absolute gentleman and a real genius craftsman. So yeah, yeah. I can actually vouch for him. Mm. There you go. Very good.
0: Uh, I actually go. just got
1: a, a um, delivery of barrels um, this week, actually. Uh, I've got a, an Amaro, which um, I wanted uh, recouped, a bourbon, and two rum casks. So um, – yeah, they're going to be filled, and I've got some youngies which I'm going to be filling as well soon. So, uh, oh, good. Yeah, so, there's three three barrel suppliers there on, on our sponsors. Bit of a thing. Yeah. I and
0: love that's, that's, hearing that's, that's barrels will in the country. I think we've got very a monopoly on on barrel sponsors.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're all really good sponsors. So, and very they good are barrel.
0: really good sponsors, and they're just lovely people as well. And they know, know. their shit. What these guys don't know about wood isn't worth knowing.
1: Yeah.
0: That's my good two cents. That
1: was good the first time you said it, Luke. About the twentieth of it, so
0: oh, whatever. That's what that's what that's okay. what the spiel is. Uh CCL?
1: Oh
0: CCL labels, yes. Uh, that's where Crafty gets all his labels from.
2: Great labels.
0: Quality glass. Also, where Crafty gets his glass from. Yep. And yeah, And many others. Many other Many guys. others. Absolutely. Uh Bernsey with your your still making. Um he's still got a long, long wait time though, doesn't he? Yeah,
1: every time he does a post, you see so many stills on the build. It just shows you how how dynamic the industry is right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's not just new newcomers to the industry, that is all the existing distillers as well, just wanting more scaling um, up. Yeah, so you have you got your, a still. Have you got your new still yet, crafting?
1: Uh, no, not yet. It's, it's just in storage right now.
0: Uh huh. Soon, soon,
1: Parker.
0: yeah. And Something wild logan, good water, fantastic water. It would be the, the, the best water. In New South Wales, certainly.
2: It's the only we water that CraftWorks uses.
1: <laughs> you think the main thing here that, that I know all these people? <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey. Well, we also know, you also know almost every guest we've had. So we're slowly working through your uh, phone contacts list.
2: <laughs> the little black, black book, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Seeing as, as you do know absolutely everyone but thank you very much to our sponsors we will be hitting you up again soon for more money so and thank you please
2: for please sponsor us again for another year that would be just fantastic it would be really we, nice. we promise to try harder next year or this year mm, I
0: mm,
2: we, will. we will try harder mm,
0: yeah we always we always strive for better yeah just not in our production quality Anyway, back to the show. Back to the show. <laughs> so, so what's your...
2: overseas. going on? one of the questions here.
1: Oh, hold on. Hang, on. Hang on. Let me just ask my question, Greg. Uh, uh, are you travelling overseas yet or are you, uh, apart yeah. from NZ, are you yeah. getting
3: Yeah, yeah, we're going to New Zealand next week. I got I snuck in two trips last year actually while the uh, Tasmania to New Zealand travel bubble was in existence for about eight weeks. So I got in two trips then, and then yeah, heading over got the whiskey show in Melbourne, then an overnight flight to Auckland, and then um, a week over there. And then our sales and marketing manager is she's in Finland at the moment, but then doing uh, all of our sort of roadshow with our Dutch and our German and our French and our British distributors, and then, yeah, I'll look forward to going over to Philadelphia and Chicago to reactivate our sales channels over there, The COVID, actually, because we just found that our half bottles weren't really connecting with the market over there. So we're able to relaunch that now with uh, with 700 mils, 750s, obviously. 750s, mm. yeah. Right. Were you, so were yeah.
0: you at Whiskey Live Sydney?
3: Yeah, I, I'm disappointed. I didn't see it. We were over opposite Manly Spirits. Um, How do oh, we miss seriously? you? Nah, we were next we to. Got, next
2: we, to got, we got overwhelmed by the sheer number of places to see,
0: and the amount of whiskey. We, um, that we drank um, by the time we got, so we the
3: we had lark next to us, and then the um, the rare and collectible bar next to us, and mm. then opposite us was Manly Spirits Company. So I'm sorry we missed you.
0: How do we do? How, I oh, do. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know how we, I, don't, I
3: don't. I don't think many people missed this because we sold out of every product at the at the shop except for one. It was a good. It was a really good show.
0: Oh look, we, Todd and I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed ourselves. We were. um oh, yeah.
3: I was not allowed to go happy out.
0: happy by the end, end of night. it. Mm. I had Apparently, to. I. I, I, I got home from that. I got home from that and had to put up a um an outdoor um heating outdoor heater on my roof and I could barely stand I had that good a time.
3: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of very generous pourers at those whiskey shows. It's such oh, yeah. such great value for money. For the people oh, that yeah. go along. It's great value and it's great value oh, yeah. for the brands too. Hmm. Now it was good. Now
0: we've got a question come in from uh Dave Taylor we'll have to
3: set up the whiskey the Cape Whiskey Convention. That'll be a money spinner for you, Crafty. <laughs> I'm
0: in. I'll come. So what's the uh, what's your oldest whiskey in a barrel?
3: So our oldest is thirty year old whiskey. We've got four barrels of that left, but they're actually not in wow. barrel anymore. They're all distilled in eighty seven. Um, and we took them out in twenty seventeen because just Angel Share, and we, we felt we didn't feel that they were getting any better in their flavour profile. Uh, so yeah, so our oldest is thirty years, and that sell that Dan's is about to do another order of that four hundred ninety nine for a half bottle. So it's pretty expensive juice, but um, sought after by you know by people that want a birthday present or a discerning drinkers who just want to taste a you know. It's only the third country in the world to have a thirty year old single malt.
0: Yeah, Snow. wow. That's an And you mentioned. Yeah, it's good juice, too.
2: Yeah, so how those barrels, they
3: were, they were all 190 litre X um, Kentucky bourbon barrels from Four Roses Distillery. And so mm-hmm. they were all filled at, at 60% on the knocker. Back in 87, they hadn't really started peating at that stage. They started peating in 88 and only probably got good at it by 1990, 91. Mm-hmm. And, um, and anyway, so they were filled probably to around 180 litres or even more, 185. But yeah, they've come right back to sort of 80 or 90 litres. Um, but their ABVs held up, and most of them are in the mid 50s still. So mm. and I'm going to go and blow my okay. nose, guys. Excuse me.
0: Four, that's right, four roses as a um as a bourbon, and I'm not a I'm not a bourbon drinker, um but I remember uh, whiskey live last whiskey live I went to uh, where Todd was my um in dad because he couldn't make it due to COVID um <laughs> dad too uh, four roses I remember were there. And I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, that, that thoroughly was, enjoyed the uh, four roads. It was an absolute standout bourbon. Um, and yeah, that being said, as someone who just does not like the sweetness of a bourbon, uh, so yeah, that they'd be they'd be an absolute cracker.
3: Yeah, yeah and and for some mm. reason I I don't know exactly why, but the um. New Zealand bourbon market is much bigger than, say, this, not in volume, but as a percentage of the overall whiskey scene. Bourbon is bigger in New Zealand than in Australia. So when Seagram's bought this big distillery down in Dunedin, one of the reasons was they were able to bring in um, their bourbons, their American bourbons, their Canadian club, all of their sort of um, North American whiskies into New Zealand in barrel decant it and bottle it and label it and then sell it into the Australian market. And that, because it was being manufactured in New Zealand, they broke the trade barriers for the Australian market and they were able to get all these brands right around New Zealand and Australia without paying the excises. So wow. Seagram sort of and, – and what that meant was they had all these fresh, wet X for Roses and – um, you know Canadian rye barrels and so on, and they just, and basically they just put their new make spirits straight into them. They didn't shave them, they didn't char them, um, and that's wow. a, that's an interesting case study in itself that they, you know, had such long matured single malt and blended whisky in you know in unreconditioned casks. Um, yeah, so that that's sort of actually one of the reasons why Sega was bought and ran that distillery for so long, um, which. Not everyone's particularly interested in, but I, I am from That's a cool. uh, a geopolitical history sense. Yeah, and that, it's
0: interesting the loophole that they found there to uh, to get around the excise.
3: Oh, it was just that Australia and New Zealand were in the same um, you know trade bloc, so if if it was manufactured in New Zealand, you didn't pay Australian tariffs, and 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 that was enough manufacturing was if you decanted and reduced it and filled a bottle um, and labelled it and packaged it, someone signed off that that was a New Zealand-produced product, just like cars, you know. A lot of the cars were being sent unassembled and then they were just assembled in Auckland or assembled in Australia and... Wow. Wow. Backdoor barracks is what you call
2: that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's um, that. Whoever whoever figured that out the first time must have made an absolute mozza. to figure it, to yeah. figure, figure that out, yeah. make it happen, and go. Yeah, I've got this now. We're gonna roll this out for everything. <laughs>
3: Some mm. other people. God, I hate them.
1: Not it's, like,
3: it's like it's like. When we bring in, for our single cast club in New Zealand, when we bring in our journeyman liquid, so we've got a assisted relationship, sister distillery in Chicago, and so when we bring in their barrels, we have to do a level of manufacture in New Zealand, otherwise it is full excise payable. So they don't have the same kind of Queen's customs bonded warehouse structure that Australia has where you can bring stuff in under bond and sit it. In New Zealand, if it comes in under bond, um, you still have to pay your import, you know, your excise, unless there right. is a level of manufacture. And, and a level of manufacture is deemed, as long as there's one label to put on, you know, then it's not completed. So it, it can't be a box, but we always get all of our independent bottling bottles for our whiskey clubs sent over with one label that we have to apply and then suddenly we are able to bring it in and put it in our bond store without paying excise until we sell it. So it's bizarre and inconsistent. All of those um, international trade regulations, like when we bring whiskey over from New Zealand in bulk to Australia, like thousand litres of New Make, if we're selling it to an independent bottler, it will they will charge excise on it unless a level of manufacture is put on that. So even pouring ten mil. Of water into a thousand liters of 62% alcohol is oh, considered wow. a level of manufacture, and then they tick the box that, yep, that's um, <laughs> exactly. you know, you don't have to pay excise. It's all, it's just an absolute nonsense, but you gotta, you know, you gotta jump through hoops and, and play the game.
0: Yeah, wow, it's all about exactly. knowing those hoops, though. Knowing
3: which yes, one exactly. Oh, you, wow. you you make sure you you make sure you educate yourself pretty quickly when when you get told by customs that you that you got a fourteen thousand dollar bill that you weren't expecting to bring stuff into your bond store, and you learn <laughs> all of those variations in the international customs culture pretty quickly. So yeah, mm. uh, wow. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Uh, that just uh, honestly that just boggles my mind how the the differences in law, the difference in in just such a small thing, can actually make such a huge difference to the end cost.
3: Yeah, yeah. And
0: the profit or loss yeah. that you're going to make on. So that one product. thing,
3: can I can I start interviewing you guys now? Yeah, sure, go for it. So, Todd, how did you meet Crafty?
2: Well, so my wife and crafty worked together something like 20 odd years ago maybe a bit longer and then um they went, they went in separate ways and then about five years ago we we well my wife and crafty met up again at a christmas party and at that stage i was starting to think about um doing some distilling in my garage fully legit as you as you know Course, yep, and um, Crafty said to Kathy that hey, he was about to set up a distillery, so it sort of went from there a little bit. And then we went out and visited him and um, made the reconnection. And we've been annoying every each other ever since.
1: <laughs> yeah, Todd's been there pretty well from the start, so um. Yes. I remember the, the first task when it hit two years and uh, we tasted it and we went, whew, okay, it's tasting like whiskey. That's good. That's a relief. A we um, we played around with the mash bill right at the start. So, um, yeah, so so the Todd is my right-hand man um, and we, yeah, pretty transparent, <laughs> knows the ins, ins and outs of it and... Um, keeps me on the short and narrow when I sometimes go, let's go out that direction. And we go, or maybe (laughs) not.
2: (laughs) I try to, but then sometimes we both go out on that direction.
0: Yeah. And that's
2: where the wives come in. And Luke,
3: do you reckon Crafty is a good teacher? Is Crafty a good teacher of the Todd?
0: Oh, look, Todd's. So Todd's
3: First release,
0: yeah. Time and wages is an absolute. Uh, it's 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 a brilliant first release. Have
3: you had a chance to uh to give that one a try? No. So is 20... Todd? Have you got your own distinct bottlings separate to crafties? No, so it's, it's,
0: it's under the
2: Craftworks no. brand. Um, I get yeah. I get and whiskey. It's our, our joke is that I get paid in whiskey
1: and that was my first payment.
3: Uh-huh. So, so Todd
1: Bob selected the cask. Todd did the cuts on the still, and we bottled it. Uh-huh. And and it's called Time and Wages Bumblebee, because it was his time and it's his wages. And it was a honey seasoned uh PX cask. And, and it was ah. it, it,
2: and so, since really? we we're, we're both Kiwis we both had a buzzy bee when we were kids so the bum- bumblebee was sort of our thing oh uh, which part
3: of NZ are you from Todd
2: <laughs> Rotorua originally
3: aha uh-huh, nice oh, I didn't I, I'm sorry I wasn't aware of that that's great I've
2: lived in New Zealand so I'm I'm probably more Australian than I am Kiwi now. You've still got. I accent though. Quiet. <laughs> I've, I've been working well, for like, like years to get rid
3: of that. I'm looking forward to that collab even more now that I know that you're both Kiwi distillers. That's even better. <laughs> we, we, I sort of get half forgiven in in New Zealand because I'm Tasmanian. They sort of. They sort of see Tasmanians not as Australians and we're probably, you know, we have the piss taken yeah. out of us as much as Kiwis. We're sort of the arse end of Australia and and so they're far less threatened by us Tasmanians and much more embracing of us having uh, our our fingers in the New Zealand whiskey pie. So, mm-hmm. so to speak. can't wait to get you two onto a collab.
0: That'll be good. That'll be good. I will be the uh, the official taste tester.
3: <laughs> yep. You will be, Luke. You will
0: <laughs> love it. So we've hit the almost hit the hour and a half mark, which is generally when we're when we're done. Does anyone have any any other questions? So we can fire at Greg while we've got him. Just putting it out there to the uh, to the audience.
2: Well, I guess, guess the one think? question I was going to ask is: is um, are you playing with New Zealand Pete?
3: Mm. We we aren't ourselves yet, but Michael Byers has been talking with Gladfields about that. Um, and you probably didn't see any of the media, but the actual uh, scientific founder of our distillery passed just before Christmas last year, and um, it was really great talking again with his family about you know some of the projects he'd been working on because he had he had actually made me aware. Of a really exciting tr- series of trials that they were running in the early 80s before Seagram's took over, um, which I'll share with you offline, which um, we really want to pick up uh, one of those in particular. So, um, yeah, so not uh, peat. Um, there is a lot of New Zealand peat in our, in, like I said, 89, but more importantly, our 90, 91, 92 cask vintages. But um, we have not peated any of our whiskey. That we have put down since the starting our own distilling seven years ago, but we will be doing interesting things soon. So you'll be doing interesting things with what sheep shit? No, I think Peter the- Peter being lines that space. We don't need to, we don't need to do <laughs> sheep shit. Got a um, there. yeah. yeah it, it's a fantastic whiskey, though. I'm sure you guys have had it. It is a <laughs> phenomenally good whiskey. And the way Peter talks about it, well, what's Pete is just decomposed broken down, you know, um, wood wood and fibre and, and vegetative matter. And what shit? It's just the sheep's body breaking down, you know, vegetative matter, and and it's just such a clever way mm. to see sheep, shit and peat are effectively much the same thing. Um, so but only one of them
0: has come from a sheep's asshole.
3: That's true. That's quite right.
0: So I mean I love that I think it's oh, a delight. Um the world, the no, I don't
2: best coffee. coffee comes from an asshole an of an animal.
0: Oh yeah, the best absolutely that that very expensive coffee that was like yeah, fifty bucks. Probably probably yeah. yeah, yeah, it comes from a little little mammal bum. So so why
2: can't the world's best whiskey come from the same area? Do you
3: know what well, Oh, surely it can. Surely it can, but I think it's about getting scale on it. Rather than being a novelty, it's about how to get the scale on it. Yeah,
2: but, um, right. there's,
0: there's a lot of sheep out there.
3: There's a lot of sheep in New I Zealand. Know. so I do just want to warn you guys, I've got 1% on my phone, even though I'm plugged in, this must be chewing up. So if I drop out, it's not because Crafty upset me. It's just because my I failed with my technology planning.
2: Okay. <laughs> so it's so on cool. that note then... Yeah.
0: On that note, why don't we hit end broadcast and we will chat to you offline uh, about all the things that you can't talk about until your battery runs out. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, Yeah, you can catch it. I'm William Rule. Uh, You missed a good one, mate. And I'm going to do it faster than I did for the last two episodes. I promise. I'll put it up tomorrow after i download it uh so it'll be this episode will be available on um on apple Podcasts, spotify and whatnot within the next like 24 hours or so uh other than that you can of course watch it on face watch it back on facebook and on youtube um please do like and subscribe do all those things and they help us get out there and we get new new followers all the time which is awesome uh, mm-hmm. So the more you like and subscribe, the more people find us. Thank you very much, Greg,
3: for joining us. Uh, thank you for staying. No, thanks. So so.
1: Thanks,
0: Greg. No, thank
3: you very much for having me. And we'll um, yes, catch you all in Sydney. Oh
2: yeah, awesome.
0: Please do. It. Let us know when you're here, and definitely let's uh, let's have a dram or two, or three, or four. Great, Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Yes,
2: Great. thank you all. Jeez. Hey, Greg.